following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. It's time to blow the trumpet in Zion. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel with Pastor Ray Greenlee. Welcome to Pilgrim's Progress. What would set all of heaven to talking? What could possibly be so exciting about a gift that all of heaven would talk? That's what we're going to deal with today. A gift so exciting that God couldn't help but talk about it. But we need to go back and review a part of the book of Hebrews in preparation for this verse out of Hebrews 11. Now, I know I've been speaking about this for several days, but you're going to miss the meaning in the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, which for me is one of the most powerful chapters in all of Scripture. You're going to miss the significance of this chapter if you don't understand that we're not dealing here with any humanistic or flesh faith. We're dealing with a faith that comes straight from the Lord God of heaven. And perhaps I should say, in way of introduction, All that is good comes from God. Every man's heart is given to malicious darkness without the redemptive work of God in that man's heart. So every sign of love, every sign of integrity, Every sign of sincerity flows out of the heart of God and is received by a human person. When Adam and Eve sold their soul to the devil, they lost all righteousness. Now the promise was, I'll make a small place, a small place of enmity between your heart and Satan's heart, by which you can escape the clutches, the bondage of the devil. This gift of enmity against wickedness, I treasure above all other gifts. In our culture today, It seems that everything is fantasy. It seems that everything is something that's not real. I'm interested in what is real, what is solid, what is true, what is good. And all of that comes from God. When we come to this 11th chapter, 
all that has gone before is the very clear explanation of who God is and of who Jesus Christ is and of the price that has been paid by Jesus to become the high priest who now offered himself as an atoning sacrifice, one time offered, not every day at the altar of a church, but offered once and for all. And that atonement is here for us. And so we come to the 11th chapter, and this is the practical explanation of how all of this is going to work in your life. And you learn about how it will work in your life by examining carefully the lives that are identified in this 11th chapter as step by step it is laid out very clearly for us. This is the way walk ye in it. The 11th chapter opens with this statement about what faith is. We need to study carefully the genuine article so that we're not going to be fooled by a counterfeit faith. There is a faith that is utterly counterfeit. It is a demonic faith. It is a a belief that faith is actually a power in itself. That is a demonic faith. Faith has no power in itself. It's very clear in the scripture that faith is simply the way I reach out in response to God and access what he has offered me. But I also do it in response to what is called a rhema word. Now, let's be clear that in the scriptures, in the English language, There are two Greek words that are translated as word. One is logos. The other is rhema. What's the difference? Generally, the word logos refers refers to Jesus himself. We find in John, the first chapter, the logos is spoken of. It is Jesus himself. Now, the word logos in the Greek has a particular meaning. It is considered by the Greeks to be that creative idea behind everything that is created. So before a house could be built, there had to be someone with a concept, an idea of a house. They drew the plans based on their ideas, and then they manufactured that house based on the plan they drew. The Greek word logos means the one who has the concept, the plan, the idea, and then he works out the creation process. So according to Colossians, the first chapter, Hebrews, the first chapter, and the Gospel of John, the first chapter. It was Jesus who had the idea of creation. 
if we go back to Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created. The New Testament says that that God who created was in fact Jesus Christ. Now he was not called Jesus then because he was not yet the incarnate son of God. He was he was fully God. Every descriptor of God in the scriptures, the names of God, like Jesus, are all salvation names. And so the salvation names of God are given. Jesus, he saves his people. But before that, we don't know what his name was. He was God. And God is one God who expresses himself in three persons. But he is one God. So Logos is the manifestation of God that we know as Jesus. The second word in the Greek that is translated word is this wonderful word that means God breathed, rhema, rhema, R-H-E-M-A, R-H-E-M-A, rhema. Now, a rhema is literally a revelation of God to a person's heart, giving them very specific direction regarding some part of creation that needs to be adjusted or put right. The rhema word of God comes, the God-breathed word of God comes in order to cancel out the devil's plan. Now, immediately, you know that the word rhema then includes a battle, a conflict, an overcoming of darkness. The rhema word of God that comes to each person will set that person against the powers of darkness and the powers of destruction and will call that person to great personal sacrifice, unselfishness, as they give themselves in response to that word to perform caring and loving deeds as God has called them to do. The rhema of God is to put something in harmony with his will, with his purpose in the earth. And so doing, it sets man against the age in which he lives. This is the essence of spiritual conflict. And if you want to talk about spiritual warfare at its true essence, Spiritual warfare is nothing more or nothing less than hearing the rhema word of God and acting upon that word, first in the prayer closet, 
And then secondly, in words and actions that conflict with the powers of darkness so as to defeat them and set them aside. Now the problem comes when we try to deal with the powers of darkness out of our own spirit. I've heard people say, I bind you, Satan, in the name of Jesus. Well, did you have a rhema word to bind him? Or did you bind him out of your own theological understanding and your own hope that you had some authority to bind him? The disciples, even Jesus, could not heal many people in Nazareth because of such unbelief. And so the rhema word of God did not come to Jesus in Nazareth to heal very many people. And so Jesus did not move to heal without a rhema word. Now this can be very disconcerting because it points out the utter inability and the utter weakness of our own flesh to accomplish, first of all, the work of God, and second of all, to create for ourselves our own kingdom. In reality, if it is not done in the power of the Spirit, at the end of the age, it will be pulled up and it will be burned in the fire. Only that which is of the Spirit counts. Now that may be devastating news to you because every day you get up and go about doing all kinds of things. You mean none of this counts? No, not if it's not being done in obedience to the call of Jesus. It may bring you money. It may enable you to live a wonderful lifestyle, but it doesn't count for eternity if it is not God-directed. And some of you today are doing all kinds of things out of your own flesh in order to create for yourself the life you would like to live, but it will have no eternal value because it is not being ordered by the Holy Spirit in accord with His will and His word. It's being done out of your own desire for security. Now, this is what is so very, very painful to face, and all of us must face it time after time after time, is that when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were thrown out of that garden. They lost their place of sleep and living their home. They lost their home. They lost their food supply. They lost their clothing, their garments of light. They were cast out into a place that grew thorns and thistles. And suddenly, if they did not go to work in the field and plow, if they did not care for the livestock, they could not eat. They would starve to death. 
So we as human beings have learned very well to do what we must do to take care of ourselves. Thank you very much. But at the cross, the curses were broken. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these other things will be added or given to you. So when we come into the new kingdom of Jesus Christ and we allow him to exercise his full authority over us, suddenly now the curse and the Garden of Eden is broken. Every curse is broken by the power of the blood of Jesus and we are free and released and now we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And we trust him to bring to us everything we need in the way of housing and transportation, everything. We now trust Jesus for our food. He is, he is everything for us. Now, when we come to this 11th chapter, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I've not been able to understand what this verse means, and I've just bypassed it time after time through the years because it it made no sense to me until finally the Holy Spirit revealed to me that there is a key part of this verse that is missing. And that is where faith comes from. So faith is the substance of things hoped for, but where does this faith come from? Is this something I gin up in my heart and and make positive affirmations, put a picture on the refrigerator of the new car that I think I want, and affirm day after day, that new car belongs to me. No, that's witchcraft. That's witchcraft. Manipulating the spiritual realm and the attempt to force it to give me what I desire. That's what witches do. That's what Harry Potter is all about. Controlling through witchcraft the world. No, there is a part missing. Faith comes. Shall I read it to you? Romans, the third chapter. Faith is out of hearing, and hearing is by the means of a rhema from God. Faith is the hearing of, by means of a rhema from God. In other words, as you hear the word of God, faith will rise up in your heart in response to that rhema word, that God-breathed word. That's why it's so vital for us to read the scriptures, to spend time with God, because you will not hear a rhema word from your internet. You won't hear a rhema word 
from your cell phone. You will not hear a rhema word at the movies or in the television. The rhema word comes through hearing the word of God. It comes as the Holy Spirit comes and speaks to us. Now, he may speak to you in a sermon. He may speak to you by reading the scriptures. Or he may simply come and whisper it into your heart. He may speak it to you. But that rhema word excites and creates faith. And faith in the New Testament Greek means absolute confidence in, being utterly persuaded of. In other words, if God's word says it, I'm convinced of it. So when the rhema of God comes to us, either out of the scriptures, by listening to a sermon, if the rhema word of God comes to us by the whisperings of the Holy Spirit, the still small voice that Elijah heard, if if that rhema word comes, it excites faith in our hearts And it says then, faith is the substance of things, or faith is the assurance of things. But if you look at that word in the Greek, it literally, hupestena. No, I didn't pronounce it correctly. Um, Let me see if I can find it. I had the notes where I had written it out. H-O-O-P-O-S-T-A-S-I-S. Hupostasis. Now, hoop in the Greek means under. Literally, what it's saying is, if you remain under that rhema word, if you allow your faith to keep you under that rhema word of God in your heart. If the inner conviction of your soul concerning the revelation of that rhema word, if that remains in your heart, you will be able to accomplish by the power of the Spirit, what that rhema word has directed you to do. Sometimes that word will just come and say, in quietness and in confidence is your strength. Isaiah thirty fifteen. That word has come to me so powerfully. In quietness and confidence, it's your strength. Or in repentance and rest, in quietness and confidence. It's being absolutely convinced that God will do what God has said he will do. And then acting according to what he is telling us to do. 
I spoke with a young man yesterday, and he said to me, I know what God wants me to do. The problem is not hearing God speak to me. The problem is I don't want to do it. Oh, he just exposed the heart of it, didn't he? Well, when we don't want to do what God has said to us, that's when we need that prayer closet time to confess that before the Lord. Admit that we don't want to do what he's told us to. And ask him to give us the strength and the courage to act on it, irregardless of how we feel. For we don't operate according to how we feel, we operate according to the word of God. So in Romans, the 11th chapter, now faith is assurance of things being expected and inner conviction of things not being seen. For by this, the men of old were confirmed or by this, the men of old testified that when they actually remained under the assurance, when they stayed under They trusted the Lord. As long as they trusted the Lord to do what he said he would do. Verse 2 says, the older men, the ancients, testified that God was faithful and did what he said he would do. Now that brings us again to verse 3. I've spend a great deal of time on that, but let me just read it for you so that you can hear it translated according to the actual words that are there. Because in that verse, we understand the kingdoms have been created. Well, that's not what the actual Greek words mean. We understand the eons or aeons, the ages, the segmented portions of time have been put right or adjusted by faith in a rhema from God. In other words, when a man or woman of old trusted in the breathed word of God, they were then set in a conflict position with the devil and with his power and with wicked men who were under his control, and wicked women who walked in the way of darkness. And these men, under that rhema word, God used them to adjust or to put right by faith the things that have not yet happened by what we've seen, but happened out of what was unseen. In other words, the world, the flesh, the devil could not see. Why did that happen? Well, that happened because God used the word he spoke through one of his disciples who prayed it through, who brought revival, who brought many other things. And then we come to verse 4, which is, Today's verse. By faith, remember, faith comes from a rhema word. 
A rhema word excites what we call faith, and conviction flows into the heart. It says, Abel offered to God a more abundant sacrifice than Cain, by which he was declared to be righteous. Let me read that for you in the NIV. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. Let's look carefully at this. Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. Literally, in the Greek, it should be a more abundant. In other words, the question is, if I have ten, what portion shall I give to God? Well, one-tenth of that would be one. Okay, Lord, I have ten portions here. I will give you one portion. Who would say that was something great? Well, no one. But what if I gave you nine-tenths of everything I possessed? As a sacrifice, that would be a sacrifice. Oh, now you're going to set some tongues to wagging. You're going to set some talking. Somebody's going to notice that. And in this case with Abel, it's fascinating what it says. By faith, because of a rhema word from God, Abel offered to God a more abundant sacrifice than Cain, by which he was declared to be righteous or innocent, God testifying about his gifts. In other words, God talked about this gift, this fabulous gift that was given to him by Abel. And by it, though having died, he still speaks. So, a dead man still speaks. Well, what is he saying? He's rejoicing because he gives to God all that God asks and more besides. He pours out an abundance for the living God of heaven in such a way that God begins to talk to his angels. Who else does God have to talk to except his, his angels? He talks to them. He, he shares what Abel has done. Now, the angels have all been astonished at the turn of events on the earth. They're astonished that this beautiful creation of God that these two human beings created in the image of God so quickly turned aside and have renounced God and served the devil. They rejoiced when the promise of Genesis 3.15 is made. They don't fully understand it, but they rejoice because they love Adam and Eve. 
and they love this new creation, this new world. Now it says in in Genesis, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought forth some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord and Abel brought fat portions, some of the firstborn of his flock. Now let's be clear, this is not speaking about a blood sacrifice. It's an offering of fat, not of blood. This is not Old Covenant yet. They don't fully understand yet what's going to happen and why the offering of an animal. They just know that God has asked them to bring a sacrifice. Now, there were two kinds of sacrifices in the Levitical system. One was a lamb or a bull, a goat, a livestock. The other offering was fine flour. In other words, from the fruit of the land, the wave offering, or the fine ground flour, the oil. That's what they brought. The question here, according to Hebrews, the 11th chapter, was not that Cain did not bring a blood offering. It was about the portion that was brought. It was about the division between what is mine and what is God's. Abel brought fat portions. It says the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. His face was downcast. And the Lord said to Cain, why are you so angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. In other words, God was asking for a recognition that he was the creator God of heaven and earth. And he asked them to bring a portion of their wealth and give it to him as a sacrifice. Cain responded by bringing a very small portion, not even the division that God had asked for. While Abel brought an abundance more than God had asked for. And God saw that Cain in his selfishness was withholding, but that Abel, in his great love being poured out, cheated himself, gave more than he should have given. And it says in Hebrews 
that God began to testify to the angels about the great love that Abel had for him. This was the first sign. Now, please, please catch this. This was the first sign of Genesis 3.15 functionally working, that God was creating a space between the devil and his people so that they could be set free of the bondages of Satan. And they could be set free through sacrifice. Looking forward to the sacrifice of Jesus and looking forward to what would happen for 2,000 years after Jesus died on Calvary and was resurrected on that wonderful Sunday morning. For 2,000 years, all of heaven has been abuzz as they have watched men and women receive the blood of Jesus Christ and give an abundance of themselves. Romans, the 12th chapter, the first verses. All of heaven has been abuzz as they have watched the power of the blood of Jesus turn a man and a woman's heart toward heaven. For Satan said, they will never serve you. You are not fair. You are not a loving God. You're unfair. You're a cheater. You're a liar. Everything that Satan was, he accused God of. This gift of Abel's is so precious to God because it is the first sign of the human heart turning in full surrender and unselfishly giving everything way more than was required, giving an abundance to the Lord God of heaven as a sacrifice. Now, I wonder how this impacted in verse 8 of Genesis 4. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. I wonder if Cain was making arguments for why he only gave the small portion he gave, claiming his need for all of the rest for he and his family. I wonder if Cain became so enraged because of the generosity of Abel's gift that has shown him up and now caused him embarrassment. I wonder if Cain's rage at Abel was because Abel was walking with God and had God's approval, while Cain was disapproved. And the age-old struggle is on between those of us who will lay it all down for Jesus Christ and those who claim everything for themselves and utterly refuse to allow the Lord God of heaven to have control of their hearts 
those who refuse him entrance into their lives. Those who selfishly say, God, you're asking too much from me. Abel is still speaking today to you, my brother, and to you, my sister. And he's saying, will you give a sacrifice like I gave to the Lord God of heaven? Now, there was later to be another sacrifice that would set all of heaven ablaze. When Jesus left heaven and came and was born as a baby on this earth, the angels sang. But I'm sure when he died on Calvary, those same angels wept. God gave the ultimate gift. He gave himself. And angels wept. What has God asked you to give him? What has God asked you to give him? What rhema word has come to your heart that you have not been willing to hear? Now let's be clear. We must hear this rhema word of God. And sometimes it's not a word we want to hear. And because we don't want to hear it, we deny it. Now I want you to see what happened very quickly. I want you to see what happened to Cain. Because he would not listen to the rhema word of God that was spoken to him. He insisted on going his own way. Genesis, the fourth chapter, the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The first sign that we have rejected the rhema word of God is that we no longer care about others. We care only about ourselves. If we go to church, we go for what we can get. And we are very tight when it comes to offering time. We don't like to give. We think giving is probably foolish. So I would ask you, what has God asked you to give that you've refused to give? And who are you hating? Who are you angry with? Are you angry at someone who has been generous? Who are you angry at? And why? Do you have the Cain spirit? Now the Lord says to him, your brother's blood cries out from the ground to me. Now you're under a curse, 
and driven from the ground which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. So suddenly he's no longer allowed to grow crops because they will die under his hand. There's a curse upon him. And Cain says to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear. Today you're driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. No, God didn't say you're going to be hidden from my presence. But that's always the desire of a person who will not give. When a person is only concerned about themselves, they won't give. They're not generous. They're chintzy. They're tight. They don't care about their brother or their sister. He says, I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. And the Lord said, not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will receive vengeance seven times over. No, Cain, I'm going to protect you. Now listen. Cain went out from the Lord's presence and he lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now Nod literally means the land of wandering. And east of Eden in the Hebrew signifies a place of new beginnings. So Cain is now going to constantly be a wanderer on the earth always starting over and never able to complete what he starts. Starting new relationships, having them blow up. Always starting something new. Never being able to finally settle down and be at home. So what does Cain do? He begins to build a city. Some of you are distracted by, well, where are the people for the city? This is extending over a long period of time. And children have been born. Population has grown. And now, this wandering person becomes a merchant. He becomes a merchant. It's significant to me that most of the farmers are gone from America and the big ag companies, the merchants, have taken over the farming. America has become a people of wandering, a people who are not grounded, a people who are caught in every kind of wickedness and every kind of evil, Angry, bitter, murderous, killing babies. America has become devoid of the word of God. Enraged, angry. America's been splintered in many different groups. We're no longer together as Americans. We're like Cain. God has been exceedingly generous with us. 
he has given to America more than any nation should ever deserve. We live lives, blessed lives of prosperity that the world has never imagined. And now there are parts of the leadership of America that are determined to destroy America and destroy the middle class and destroy the ability to live. We live in a nation filled with racial hate, bitterness, anger. All of this flowing out of the heart of Cain. Murder, Chicago, the murder capital of America. New York City, Washington, D.C., L.A., Seattle, Detroit, places of not the glory of God's blessing anymore, but the utter blight of broken homes, of babies aborted. America has become and is fast becoming a wasteland of wickedness, a place of darkness, of horror, a place of violence and murder. It's all flowing out of Cain. This dead man who was murdered by the name of Abel still speaks today. He says, give to God what is due him. Give to God your portion. Allow him today to have your life, your heart, your mind, your body. Give to him everything, and he will bring peace into your heart and life into your body. He will bring your family together and heal it. He will provide for you. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. That's the message of Abel for us today. (laughs) Almighty God, I plead your blood, Jesus, over every person listening to this broadcast. Lord, I know you're looking for that person that you can speak your rhema word into, that they will align with your will and your desire to give to America the greatest gift it could receive, the gift of spiritual renewal and revival. Lord, come and speak to us. And give us the courage to stand by faith and believe that you have not deserted America, that you have a plan and a purpose for us. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. I want to take just a moment to thank each of you who so generously poured out your portion You gave more than even was expected. One young teenager sent a check for $200. 
to help cover the cost of radio. I praise God for the pledges that were made and that have been received. This week, I will send to WAVA the full amount of the payment for the month of July for this year. I praise God that I can do that. And that this month of August, I'm standing by faith that it will be covered, even as July was. But I have to come and just very humbly say before you, thank you. From day one, you began to give of the month of July. All through the month, you gave until finally, when we were short that $1,253, you came through and gave everything to the, to the penny. Thank you. Lord, I pray your blessing on your people who gave. I pray that you will talk about them in heaven and bear testimony in heaven to the angels that these, like, like Abel, gave you a portion that causes your heart to be joyful. Lord, thank you. I pray in your holy name. Amen. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress. I'm Ray Greenley, the pastor of the National Prayer Chapel. God bless you. I'll talk to you soon. Before the presence of His glory with great joy, with great joy.